This week on Rotten or Righteous, we ask the question. And what do you what do you think he does? Do you think he drops the commandments on the ground and they break like the Bible says? Or do you think he hurls them at him like or hurls them at Dathan like they're a live grenade and then things just start exploding and the whole entire earth just rips open and swallows a whole bunch of Hebrews? Option B. Welcome back to Rotten or Righteous, the show that my dad listened to and said that he's never been proud of me. <laughs> he still loves you though, right? Probably not. Kind of iffy. With me today, as always, are my two other hosts. Whether or not you enjoy the show is up to you, but he thinks you will. Luke Taylor. Yes, I do. You will enjoy this show. If you don't, something wrong Did- with you. Did you think his kiss was a promise of what you will have? No, my pompous listener. It was to let you know what you will not have, Scott Judge. Woohoo! And me, I'm a sharp-clawed, treacherous little peacock, Zach Geiler. <laughs> Continuing with our theme of holiday movies that one of us has never seen before, this week we watched the 1956 biblical epic, The Ten Commandments. But before we begin, I would like to remind you, you can stay up to date with the latest star in our news by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com slash righteous. We're now on Instagram. If you want to follow us, search for R Media. Subscribe to our show and get new episodes as soon as they release on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and now Spotify, because I took the five seconds to put our RSS feed in there. If you listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, give us a quick review, and five stars. It really helps us reach a larger audience. Please, if you like the show, tell someone about us. If you have a suggestion for a movie television show you would like us to review, or if you have any question, comment, concern, or snide remark, you can reach us at RottenRighteous at gmail.com or on Facebook Messenger. Please visit our website, RottenRighteous.com, and see what's going on over there. Also, stay tuned after the closing music. There's going to be a blooper or something, I'm sure. I don't know. I haven't edited it yet because we haven't even recorded it yet. You guys expect too much of me, listeners. I'm not going to say anything funny this whole show so you don't have anything to edit. I don't really know how our uh, our listeners, you know, I, I assume they don't have any expectations of us. And I'm unclear how they can lower them. <laughs> but they need, they need to try. Yeah, that's true. You can't lower <laughs> expectations if you don't have them in the first place. <laughs> You know, my, my family know. motto was growing up, my dad always said, you know what, son, if you want to, if you want to succeed at life, set low expectations, meet your goals, avoid disappointment. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> A new segment that just came popping into my head five seconds ago, and that is... Calendar watch. What wall calendar is that going to get this year? So this last year, I've been rocking out with a office calendar, and uh, I liked the office. It was a good calendar. It served me well. Told me the dates. But I wanted to get something a little bit more quirky this year. And right now, I'm uh, on the fence with this one calendar. 
and I wanted to get your guys' opinion of it, of whether or not you think that someone would be offended by this or find it as funny as I did. Uh, the calendar is called Nuns Having Fun. Offended. It, it's a wall I am, calendar. I am offended. That is just filled with nuns having fun. Like there's nuns water skiing. There's nuns playing golf. It's just 12 beautiful portraits of, of, of fun having nuns. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to say. I'm offended already. I don't think nuns are allowed to have fun. Uh, these nuns be, were having fun. That would be cool to see them out skiing, though. I'm, t- I'm telling you. you they... You're having a bad day. You're coming back from having to do a funeral or something. You look on your wall and you see see some nuns up there playing hopscotch. You're, you're not going to have a bad day anymore. Wouldn't that make you feel bad, though, if the nuns were having more fun than you? You'd be like, what is my life? I guarantee you nuns have more fun than me. You think? I'm married in rural Kentucky with a three-year-old. Fun is not really what's on the agenda. <laughs> what if well, you were lo- Cindy Lopper sang about it back in the 80s, too. Nuns just want to have fun. Let's go ahead and, and dive into our movie, because there's a lot of movie to cover. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was Amen. upon the face of the deep. Amen. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And from this light that shone in the darkness, God created all things, day and night, sun and stars, heaven and earth. He created them. And then about 6,000 years later, in 1956, Cecil B. DeMille did his very best to shove everything God created into one movie, which explains its four-hour running time. (laughs) So, uh, it's an old-school movie, so it opens up with about 45 minutes of credits, and then what feels like a word-for-word reading of Genesis. Then we actually get into the movie. One thing I missed about this is that they actually chopped it down, because... They used to have opening orchestra music. Like, if you get this on VHS, they'll have open, opening orchestra music, and then intermission is actually like a 10 or 15-minute orchestra section, and then they have a conclusion. So they chopped all that out. I was sad. Well, they did, have, they did have the extended version, which I don't think this movie needs a director's cut. I think we already <laughs> got that. I mean, this... this <laughs> woo, it was a long movie. So we started out 45 minutes of credits. Uh, Cecil B. DeMille is actually the narrator in this, and then he just reads Genesis. <laughs> he just reads the whole book. <laughs> and then we're told that uh, Pharaoh's advisors uh, are um, Pharaoh's advisors tell the king of Egypt that they saw an evil star in the sky that signaled the birth of a great Hebrew liberator. Which is something this movie does throughout is is like they cram every single well-known bible story into the story of moses like the star in the sky i i don't know i wanted to reread the exodus account but i didn't have time because this movie was three hours and 45 minutes long um but i don't remember a star signaling the birth of moses i don't either me neither what if that was in the works of josephus maybe because they, they had noted, like, where they, where all they had referenced to get this story from. The Bible was only one. Josephus was another. And then there was a couple more. Just, just like some random, 
No, they had like random novelizations that they based this movie on by like Reverend John P. Daly or whatever. There was also some uh, some historical writers that they had put in there in the opening credits somewhere in that 10 minutes. But I mean, I guess if you need a reason to kill a bunch of babies, an evil star is uh, one of them. And that's what, what Pharaoh does. There's an evil star. Great Hebrew liberators coming. He goes, well, let's murder them baby, uh, newborn baby boys down in Goshen. So let it be written. So let it be done. Uh, so the, so hey, the babies are. I, yep. I don't. I don't want to get us off task here, but if I don't get this on my mind, I'll be jumping up and down in my chair. We've already been Think recording for this. twenty minutes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I doubt we'll be done by midnight. <laughs> Think about this for just a second. Okay. A new movie, The Mask yep. Two, where he fights a wrestler called the Hebrew Liberator. I don't want ten out to. of ten. I'm I'm busy. Huh? Ten out of ten. I, I don't think we I don't think we could fit that movie in the docket. If we get Charlton Heston battling the mask in the ring, I think Charlton Heston would win. But yeah, I do too. All you had to do is look at him. You look at Charleston Heston's eyes. You just do whatever he says. <laughs> oh, I, I I know we'll get to it, but when when he went to when he went to see God at the burning bush, which time it was like uh, the first time was that the it okay. was like woof. All of a sudden, he just comes out with a beard, gray beard, <laughs> hairs grow. Yeah, we'll, we'll hair. talk about what that. What has happened there? We'll talk <clears> about <throat> that. And so we have this scene where the the babies are killed, and for some reason. Uh, the director decided to put a still image in the foreground of just this woman next to a bloody bassinet looking real sad. And and all the actions happening behind her, like this woman does not move. And it just it's just the weirdest it's like it's like I don't know, you see those big cutouts of people at malls or whatever. Yeah. It's like the world's worst human sized cutout just standing in front of one of the world's worst tragedies and it just it's- it's not a still image. It's a woman who's no. actually there. No, she's it, in shock because no. her baby just no, got stabbed it, with this dude's I, sword. I'm, I'm telling you, because this bugged me. Because I was like, this doesn't look right. I looked it up. No, in the script it says put a still image of a woman in the foreground, in a <laughs> in a media effect is what it says in the script. I promise you, this woman does not move. She's not in shock because she's a photograph. Well, I didn't notice. So good I job, Cecil. I didn't realize that. No, it was Cecil it was pulled one over on me. Um, so the babies are killed, uh, but one unnamed baby is plopped in a basket and sent down the Nile to be discovered by the princess of Egypt, a uh, lady named Bithia. And uh, we're introduced to Bithia when her handmaids are playing catch with a gourd for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> And um, with musical accompany, accompany, with musical with some folks playing music in the background. Yeah, but that's like in every Egyptian scene. There's like six people with a harp just back there. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, the princess handsmaids are playing catch with a gourd, and then Mamnet, uh, a house slave, tells Bithia that uh, she should just throw that heat root baby away. She's like, "Hey, Bithia, look, I found me a baby. Yeah, get rid of it." Just toss, toss it back. <laughs> oh, that's sad. Uh, but but Bithy is like low key gangster. 
She really is, because she tells Mamnet to shut her mouth. She ever mentions that her son, who she named Moses, is Hebrew. She was going to fit Mamnet with a, a pair of cement shoes and throw her in the Nile. Mamnet oh, was... what a piece of foreshadowing. Mamnet was... She deserved to be killed. Spoilers. Uh, Forty years later, Ramses, Moses's stepbrother... And Seti, the current pharaoh, here discussing who's going to be the next king. And Ramsey's like, yo, you know it's going to be me, because uh, I'm going to marry that skirt, Nefertiri. You know. <laughs> Can I just say, Yul Brenner is like my favorite actor ever, from just because of this movie. You know, that, that random pretty girl that has to marry the next pharaoh. And I, I read this too uh, in IMDb trivia. Um, Nefertiri is... Supposed to be the daughter of Seti, which means that she has to marry her brother, which isn't that far-fetched in Egyptian history. But uh, the censors at the time didn't think that the audience would get on board with um, the incestuousness of this proposed relationship. So they just took that part out. And so we just have this like random girl that gets to marry the next pharaoh with no explanation of why she's there. I wonder if that's why, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they called, they talked about Pharaoh's daughter finding Moses. And then later on, um, Bithia. No, that, but that was, Bithia was Moses's grandfather's daughter. Seti is Bithia's brother, is how, what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then I thought for sure they said that it was Pharaoh's daughter who found her at the beginning of the movie. It was like they were trying to... Maybe I, maybe well, I didn't it, hear it right, but well, it's like it was. they were trying to... Because Seti wasn't on the throne yet. The first pharaoh... Oh, oh. Gotcha. And then Seti kind of like adopts Moses. So is that how they got around it? I don't know. It, it doesn't make any sense. But just know that the truth is Nefertiri is supposed to be uh, Ramsey's sister. I think Pharaoh is the only one who actually, uh, as far as Yul Brenner, is the only one who could actually pass as an Egyptian. Because that girl's like yeah. way white. Everyone is way white. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Not everyone. But but Seti's like, listen, Rams, Ram Ram, uh, don't count your eggs for they hatch. Moses is pretty dope. I might pick him to be the next king. So Moses returns from conquering Ethiopia, and he shows off all the Skrilla and bling that he brought back with him. Ferris says, Moses, nice job. You, you want to build a city for me? Moses says, yeah, sure, I could use a break and something easy to do with all my talent. And Ramsey goes, hey, Dad, I need something to do to make, me, make you proud of me, okay? You can just give all the good stuff to Moses. And Pharaoh tells Ramses that the Hebrews are talking about a liberator and charges the prince to hunt down this savior... And take him down. I will say that I'm very thankful that the Ethiopians were actually African-American. In, in this particular film, I was a little afraid, seeing as it was 1963 or 53 when this came out, that we were going to be treated to a minstrel show, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Uh, all of these <laughs> were... Treated, or, treated to a what? A minstrel show. That is where white people would dress up as caricatures of black people and make fun of them. Were you aware of that term, Luke? I was not. A, minst a minstrel show? It's Last a titular Zach term. Is, Zach is just educating us every week. I know. He's looking up all kinds of interesting facts. Now, have you ever seen that the famous uh, movie, or you probably heard of the famous movie, The Jazz Singer? 
Yeah. That's that's a famous filmed minstrel show. The 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 guy is very white, but dresses up as a black man. Okie dokie. Changing the subject. Before heading to build Seti City, Moses makes a quick trip to Nefertiri's chamber. You see, the two are sweet on each other. And Nefertiri tells Moses to build this city right, so Seti will choose Moses to succeed him, and then they can get married. And Moses is like, I and then after some necking, Moses leaves. Can I just say that uh, the kissing scenes in this show are my favorite? This is actually where I learned to to do some necking. This is my this is my tactic. This is how I kiss Megan every time. You know, it's like this violent love. <laughs> does she what? does she come up to you and go, "Oh, Luke, hold me in your arms yes. while I look off screen"? And we very quickly grab each other. Oh. Whenever you what fall down, it? do you? T- whenever you fall down, do you take six steps and then hold onto a pillar? <laughs> yeah, can I? Can I also say? <laughs> can I also say that uh, the posing? It, you know, every scene where there's a cut scene and then they cut to like Ramses, they cut to Moses or somebody, uh, some main character. They're always doing a pose. It's like I just think we should yeah. bring we should bring that back. Like we should get up in the pulpit. We should walk around like Charlton Heston. <laughs> My favorite one is, and I, I didn't put this in my notes, but my favorite pose that I remember is right after he beats the Amalekites at the well and uh, Sephora comes out and he's just like, he's like Captain Morganine with his staff. Like. It's the best. I think that, that's just classic. Well, All I, the old I, movies are like that, that though. <clears throat> And, and this I told is very Scott old this school acting. I told Scott this at the beginning. If they would have just talked normally, this movie would have been an hour and a half long. The only reason why it is three hours and forty minutes is because it takes them forty-eight minutes just to say a sentence. Oh, Moses. Go. <laughs> when I read the Bible though, the this is this is how I imagine people speaking. <clears throat> Moses says everything in a deep, profound voice. How come there's no tenor? God, God's never Nefertiri. a tenor. <laughs> Nefertiri, I cannot touch you until I get the slaves out of bondage. Moses heads up to Goshen to oversee uh, the building of, of this city dedicated to Seti. It's Seti City. I hear uh, what happens in Seti City stays in Seti City. Uh, <clears throat> While in Goshen, he witnesses how cruelly the slaves are being treated, and he meets a guy named Joshua, who is busy eyeing up a pretty water girl named Lilia. And we're introduced to Dathan, which is like where he's like sucking up to the, he- or to the Egyptians and selling out his brothers and sisters, and he's just... He's not a good guy, and it kind of offends me that uh, the guy that plays Dathan is is a well-known Jewish actor, but the only person that looks Jewish in this entire movie is the bad Israelite. (laughs) I didn't notice that. But Dathan, he's a bad guy. He also wants a slice of Lilia. He doesn't want a slice. He wants the whole pie. (laughs) (laughs) While Moses is uh, observing, the slaves are moving a massive stone block into place, and an elderly woman uh, is greasing the ground in front of the stone uh, in order to make it move. 
And then the old lady's scarf gets caught under the block. The Egyptian slave masters refuse to stop. And this little old lady is about to become a latka right in front of our eyes. Did you like like that right there instead of a pancake? I don't know what I, I that is. The, oh, a latka is a uh, potato pancake famously <clears throat> uh, made and consumed by Israeli culture. Lilia runs to get Moses while Joshua punches the, the slave driver right in his stupid face. They're about to beat Joshua to death when Moses intervenes. And Moses saves the old woman, who is Moses' mother, Jacobed. Uh, but shh, he doesn't know that yet. And he yells at Vincent Price, who plays Baca, the master builder. And he pardons Joshua's crime and says... Things are about to change around here. The first change is Moses gives the Hebrew uh, the grain stores that were offered to the gods. And we see the scene of just a bunch of Hebrews rushing into these these silos and pouring this grain out. And I only bring this up because in the background of one scene was something that caught my attention. There was this, the oldest man in the world is what he looked like. Like, he looked like he was around to see all this stuff happen firsthand. But... Yeah. You just saw him in the background. He kept picking up handfuls of grain and then shaking his fists in the air like it was the greatest thing ever, and he was making it rain grain all down <laughs> on his head. <laughs> and he just did that like seven times. <laughs> and then uh, Moses decides to give the, the Hebrews the day off on uh, what he calls the day of Moses for some reason. No, the people called it that because they loved him so much. Right. This is Very exactly accurate. This is exactly the account I read in, in Exodus. <laughs> but when Ramsey hears about these changes, he runs and lies to his dad, saying that Moses is clearly raising the slaves up to revolt against Pharaoh. Instead, he says, well, we're just going to see about that. And he goes to check on Moses and Goshen. Then there's this really creepy scene between Ramses and Nefertiri. We need to talk about because of one line that Yul Brenner says. Nefertiri goes, you lying adder. You will destroy yourself with your own venom if you try to turn Seti against Moses. She's looking off screen the entire time. Never makes contact. <laughs> eye contact with Yul Brenner. <laughs> uh, Ramses responds, you turn Seti against me. Remember, my sweet, that you must be the wife of the next pharaoh. And you're going to be mine, all mine, like my dog, or my horse, or my falcon. Oh, stop it, Ramses. You're here giving me the vapors. How romantic. <laughs> you're going to be uh, like my dog, my horse, or my falcon. Only I shall love you more and trust you less. Brilliant foundation for a marriage. Go on. You will never do the, th <laughs> you'll never do the things to me you would have done to Moses. I know you, my sweet. You're a sharp-clawed, treacherous little peacock. But you're food for the gods. I'm going to have you as I want you. All of you. And then Nefertiri then goes and makes out with Ramses because she hates him? That's my favorite part of this movie. And she's like, ooh, I can't stand you. Let me lick your tonsils. Yeah, why, why is that? I mean, there's there's a couple times, a couple three times in a movie that that happens. Why? Because if she didn't kiss him, then she couldn't say the next line. None of me, you fool. 
Do you think my kiss was a promise of what you will have? No, my pompous one. To let you know what you will not have. I can never love you. Ramsey goes, does that matter? You will be my wife. You will come to me whenever I call you, and I will enjoy that very much. Whether you enjoy it or not is your own affair. But I think you will. And then if he had a mic, he would have dropped it at that point. Yes, he would have, no doubt. <laughs> but I think you will. I'm just saying, that was like the most baller line in this entire movie. <laughs> yeah, that was in my vows. Okay. That was my vows. Uh, Zach decided to write his vows. <laughs> vows. Dear Kelsey, I know you will never love me, but does that matter? You'll be my wife, and uh, I'm going to enjoy you very much. Whether you do enjoy it or not is your own affair, uh, but I think you will. Who gives this woman away to this man? <laughs> as it is written, as it is done. So Ramses and Seti go and check on Moses and Goshen. And because he treats the slaves so nice, they worked really hard and got a lot done. And they're in this room that is walled off by curtains. And Moses reveals what he has done or what the slaves have done to Seti. Like, he's on the set of Let's Make a Deal. Like, what's behind curtain number one? It's an obelisk. Because he didn't see any of that walking in. <clears throat> that's, that's the thing, too. Do they build like, a tunnel all the way? <laughs> it was a and tree, I get it. I And I get that we're talking about a movie that was made in the 50s, but... Good night. There, it's not green screen, but it's the same concept. It's just bad, and they use it throughout this movie. And oh, come I, on! I I wouldn't have been distracted with it, but every single actor is clouded by like six inches of black around them. Yeah, but you have to think this is like the fifties, right? When was this movie made? The fifties. I just said that like seven oh. times. Well, back in the 50s, you know, I don't know if you were there. I was alive back then. Um, this was like high tech stuff. I mean, they didn't have they didn't have computers. Can you think of that? Like you had to make a movie. You didn't have a computer to do it. That would be hard they, stuff. So but, I feel like this movie is like, like like the graphics in this movie are better than half the Christian movies I watch on on TV today. That is true. That is true. But But I guess what bugs me is that. They clearly built the sets. Like, you can't computer graphic uh, people carrying around those sphinxes and stuff. So they clearly built all the sets. Why couldn't they have built a platform in front of them for, for, for Heston to stand on and actually do it? Why did they have to go with this whole, let's superimpose the background in front of Heston and make sure that he has a halo of black around him so we know exactly <laughs> uh, what's going on here? They wouldn't have been able to get like the grandeur that they were looking for. You know, it would have been if they had built the whole thing, you know, it'd look it looked okay, but it wouldn't look like the grand scale of Egypt. So were you impressed by the raising of the obelisk? Yeah, I was. I was impressed I was impressed by a lot of the technical details because they're still trying to figure out how they moved these giant stone blocks from A yeah. to B. And they still can't figure it out and I mean it's the the explanations that went behind how they moved these stones was inventive and great and the effects mm -hmm. the real effects are awesome like the rope snapping and the pulleys and everything all that looked yeah. awesome 
I just didn't like the fact that then they put old blue eyes in front of him there, looking like the anti or the anti-Catholic Jesus. You know how he always has that halo around his head, but again, it's just black. It's black. Heston looks like <laughs> Satan. <laughs> like a Catholic depiction of Satan. But you know, the know. budget for this movie was only uh, $13 million, which was probably a ton of money back then, but nowadays it sounds like nothing. I want to know. Really? 13 mil sounds like nothing? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got that in my back pocket. The other day I was doing laundry, reached in my jeans, pulled out 13 million. <laughs> in 1953, in today's dollars... They had a budget of $126,780,674.16. Seti is impressed by the city and tells Moses that he's going to be the next pharaoh. And Seti and Moses leave together. And then uh, Vincent Price, Baca, the master builder, slithers up to Ramses and says, Ooh, you really going to let Moses poach your throne? <laughs> if Harry Potter had been like 50 years earlier, he could have been Severus Snape. I've got to be honest, whenever I dropped Joseph off at my uh, in-law's house this week, on the way back when I was in the car by myself, I would do I would work on my Vincent Price impersonation just so I could <laughs> do it during this show. Are you really going to let Moses poach your throne? <laughs> but Ramsey says, nah, bro, I got a plan. Got me a plan. Uh, back in Nefertiri's room, Nefertiri's picking out clothes for her upcoming marriage to Moses. She picks out a, a piece of fabric that, that is basically translucent. It's basically saran wrap. And she's like, that's for the wedding night. I'm like, ooh, Nefertiri, you minx. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then Mamnet, uh, the slave who was Moses' adopted mother when Moses was found in a basket, comes and tells her a secret. She goes, Moses is a Hebrew slave. And then uh, shows her a piece of Hebrew cloth that Moses was swaddled in when he was found. And Mamnet doesn't want no Hebrew slave butt sitting on the throne. So uh, she's going to put a stop to this. But Nefertiri's like, who else have you told about this? Mamnet goes, no one. Kids, if somebody comes and asks you, uh, who else have you told about <laughs> any news that you've delivered? The correct answer is everyone. <laughs> Everyone knows. Oh, I've told like 36 people all the way over here. <laughs> because if you say no one, this is what happens. Because Nefertiri says, cool, then I can still marry Moses. And then she just straight up murders the old slave lady. Because... <laughs> Can I just say, I was proud of her for this. I was like, I didn't really see this coming the first time. I was like, good on you. Like, this is just a savage move. No hesitation. Well, you got to understand, Nefertiri lives by the laws of the street. And snitches get stitches. She got more than stitches. So <laughs> she got uh, her brain scrambled and pulled out of her nose because she was mummified. And that's how they did that. Long hot poker right up the nostril. Swirl, 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 and yank. So, Nefertiri just murders Mamnet. Then Moses comes into Nefertiri's room uh, for some post-city building necking when he hears that Mamnet had been found <laughs> dead. And everyone assumes that she just fell off a balcony. Which, again, Nefertiri is cold. That is cold. <laughs> Ah, uh, that was probably her best, not that I agree with it, but that was probably her best way to do it. 
make it look like an accident. You know how she easy, fell. You know how easy it'd be to murder somebody in ancient times. I mean, All you had get away to do, with anything. No matter what you did, is if you just threw them off of something high enough. Oh no, they fell. Yeah, <laughs> no one could prove otherwise. <laughs> but I will say that Nefertiri would not have held up under any kind of uh, any kind of interrogation because it took Moses maybe. Well, it took him 30 minutes, but if you speak in a normal speed, it would have taken him six seconds. Uh, <laughs> to get her to confess that she killed Mamnit, because Mamnit was going to expose Moses as a Hebrew. After confronting... This is my biggest problem with this movie, because the Bible makes it pretty clear that Moses knew he was a Hebrew and an Egyptian yeah. the entire time. Yep. That's what made him the, the perfect liberator of the Hebrews, was that he had the the building knowledge and the the skill of being a prince of Egypt and he also had the 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 background knowledge of god from the hebrews but yeah particularly in particularly in acts i mean when it says that he killed the egyptian he thought that it was now his time to free the egyptian so at this point where we're at in the movie he would have known yeah don't worry about that the movie didn't after confronting bithia his Egyptian mother, and learning his birth mother's name is Jacobed, Moses goes to find his kin. Moses uh, meets Jacobed and his brother Aaron, who actually has more than three lines, already making this better than Prince of Egypt. Already making this better than Prince of Egypt. And his sister Miriam. Now, let's be honest. Aaron and Miriam are kind of shoved on the back burner. <laughs> really? Not yep. in this movie that much. Uh, and then Moses decides to be a slave for some reason, and no one questions why the prince of Egypt has now uh, made himself a slave or stopped him from doing this. <laughs> well, he disappears. He doesn't let anybody know. Okay, but but still, it's Char <laughs> I would understand this if there wasn't Charleston Heston playing this part. But because it is, there's no there's no amount of mud on earth that you can cover Heston with that people are going to go. That's not that's not him. Where do you go? No, it, 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 it's just <laughs> <I> mean. <laughs> I was thinking about this, and I was like, you know, we all know who, like, the president is and, like, what he looks like, and we'd be able to recognize him in a heartbeat. But, like, if you didn't have the internet and there were, like, uh, like, you didn't see the president every day, and then he was, like, working in the mud pit. Now, if it was Trump, you'd probably recognize him, but if it was one of the more, <laughs> like, norm normal-looking presidents... I like if I saw the best, <laughs> I would make the greatest bricks that anyone's ever seen. The bricks but that you... I made would be fantastic. They're great, huge. The greatest, they'd be they'd be huge. huge. They'd be huge. Would... <laughs> you you wouldn't even be able to walk on them. They'd be so huge. If Melania was was, Melania was drawing water huge. for you, would you yes. recognize her? Probably. Yeah, I, Melania yeah. is a beautiful, beautiful woman. Melania was in the yeah, mud pit. Yeah, definitely. If Melania was in a mud pit, I'd probably notice. <laughs> All right, well, that point was crap. Now, if Nancy Reagan, on the other hand, was, is, I'd, I'd, change, I I'd change the channel if old Nancy was down in there. <laughs> there. There you go, Nancy. Go win the mud wrestling for the Gipper. Okay, so in the most sides... To become a slave, and then for some reason, the movie for like the next fifteen minutes just turns into a full-fledged brick-making documentary. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like it was like an episode of how it was made. The the Hebrews go out and they get the straw, 
The straw is then brought on their backs and into the mud pit where it's stamped <laughs> down into the ground. If you put too much straw, the brick becomes brittle. But enough, sh little too little, they won't set. But the Hebrews know just the right amount of straw to dance into it. Look at that Hebrew over there carrying a brick on his head. Hello, Hebrew. He's going to go and take that to the master builder for his inspection. We really expected Mike Rowe to show up. We actually did this in VBS one year. We had a mud pit and we all uh, made bricks. <laughs> I'm serious. It was like one of the coolest VBSs ever. Like we would, uh, they made a mud pit in the church, somewhere in the church. Back in the backyard, they made a mud pit and then we mixed straw and mud and something else together and made bricks like they were doing it in the movie. That's how they made their new addition. They needed an expansion on the church building. <laughs> Yeah, they got the, got the kids' class. They just made them slaves. <laughs> Moses is dancing straw in the mud to make bricks. And during this time, Master Builder Baca comes up and goes, mm, Lilia, I think that you should be a slave of mine. You look simply ravishing. Then Nefertiri shows up, needing a strong slave to be an oarsman on her barge, and she chooses a slave in the mud who she knows is Moses. So if Nefertiri could go out into, like, the midst of thousands of slaves and pick Moses out of a crowd of muddy men, they knew. They were... Seti's over there going, like, hey, have you seen Moses? Yeah, he's still stomping in mud. Uh, anybody want to stop and do that? <laughs> he seems to be having a good time. I'm She's got a GPS tracker on him. Hey, besides that, they could use the help. And I wrote down in my notes here that uh, Baca and her are being carried around on chairs, uh, on the shoulders. The chairs are being supported by these poles. And the thing I wrote was, I bet that'd be fun. Uh-huh. Just just once. I just want to get, like, four people that I don't care that much about and pop my fat butt up on a chair and make them carry me around. I might hire chair bearers next time Freed has a lectureship. Just one day. Last day, just come carry me from lecture to lecture. <laughs> Don't address it. <laughs> Don't say anything about it. Just. Oh, man. I believe Doug Burleson is teaching in the main auditorium. <laughs> chop, chop. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Nefertiri brings a, a muddy Moses into her tent. And uh, when they're alone, after they get done with their necking, they always do a little necking. Uh, Nefertiri asks a very logical question. She asks, hey, Moses, instead of making yourself a slave, why not go ahead and become Pharaoh and then free the slaves where you're in charge? Dun, dun, dun. Yep, that, that makes a lot of sense. He's already got Pharaoh, the position, in the bag. All he has to do is make it to Seti's Jubilee, whatever that is, and then he's going to be made Pharaoh, but instead <laughs> he, he goes around to brick stomping, I mean, literally, this movie, because of the way they set it up, would have made so much more sense for Moses to be like, hey, I'm Pharaoh now, free those slaves. Thanks, thanks, Moses, talk to you later. It's been good working for you. <laughs> I don't want to go. Well, you don't have to go, bud. Come on. Come over here. You sit next to me. You be my little buddy. Thanks, Moses. <laughs> just one, just one slave just wants to be Moses' buddy. <laughs> buddy so uh, but Moses basically responds because that's not what the script tells me to do um <laughs> no, he, he actually agrees he's like okay I'll become Pharaoh because that makes more sense than stomping in mud uh but there's something that I need to do first so Lily is in Baca the master builder's house 
And Baka's like, ooh, Lilia, it's so special to have you here. And uh, Joshua, who is Lilia's secret squeeze, sneaks over Baka's wall to save her. He he sets a cart on fire and then runs into where Baka is. And Baka's holding a pillow right now. That's important because he punches the pillow and then Baka slowly falls to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I thought maybe he had a knife in his hand and he blocked it with the pillow and then I realized no he just he just punched right into the pillow of all the places. <laughs> he punched the pillow and the box is like oh no I invested. But <laughs> 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 he just pops that pillow and he just oh no my pillow. <laughs> Well, what do you do when you get angry? My life force was in that pillow. (laughs) 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 But Lilia runs away, and Joshua is, like, apprehended immediately and bound up between (laughs) these two pillars, and Baka's going to scourge him to death. You've seen me with this whip. Haven't you before, Joshua? I can flick a fly off a horse's ear. (laughs) <laughs> and, but, but before uh, this happens Moses arrives and just pops a cap at Baca killing him and Joshua uh, runs away and Moses and Joshua run away from Baca's house but unfortunately old Dathan saw everything that happens dang it Dathan. And Dathan, Dathan he's the worst if I ever and, turn out to be like him when I grow up just kill me push me over a balcony or something Okay, I'll punch your pillow. Um, <laughs> but uh, Dathan tells Ramses that Moses was Baca's assassin in exchange for power, wealth, and ownership of Lilia, which he... Uh, I didn't put this in the notes, but, but Dathan is in the rest of this movie, and Lilia is his slave for the rest of this movie, which makes no sense to me. You'd think when the Hebrews were sl- freed, Lilia was too, but... Yeah. Whatever. Uh, At Seti's Jubilee, the party where he's going to announce his successor, Ramses is ready to give his father the would-be deliverer of the Hebrews. But before he does, for some reason, there's this like 10-minute long sequence where a woman with a pom-pom in her hair comes out and just starts whipping it around everywhere. (laughs) Multiple women. I, I, all those women had to go to a chiropractor right after this. It did not look comfortable what they were doing. <laughs> uh, uh, but after the dance is finally over, Moses is brought before Pharaoh in chains. And it breaks Seti's heart. But he names Ramses to be the next Pharaoh. And charges <clears throat> Ramses with punishing Moses. Ramses decides to banish Moses so he would, uh, so Moses would have to live with the fact that Ramses canoodle in with his sister and a girl, Moses' girlfriend, Nefertiri. Dathan... That'll show him. Yeah. Dathan's enjoying his ill-gotten gains and orders Lilia to kneel before him. And he tells the woman that uh, he won't have Joshua executed if she agrees to give herself to him, in the biblical sense, of her own free will. But but yeah, Lilia agrees to become Dathan's sexual slave, uh, and Joshua's life is spared, and he's sent to the copper mines of Sinai. Moses is sitting to the desert with nothing but a Hebrew cloak, a day's ration of food and water, and a wooden staff. 
Now, I would tell you what happens, but please allow me to let Cecil B. DeMille tell you what happens because <laughs> Moses acts out every single thing I'm about to read. The man who walked with kings now walks alone into the blitter. <laughs> it's going to take a while. Into the blistering wilderness of Shur, torn from the pinnacle of royal power, stripped of all rank and earthly wealth, a wanderer upon a sea of golden waste, swept by the shifting currents of wind into the new valleys of despair. Uh, through blinding sand and choky dust, struggling onward, driven forward by a god unknown toward a land unseen. My favorite thing is that Charleston Heston is walking towards the screen during this, and he's just getting blasted to the face with sand. And <laughs> you, you know for a fact that they have these two big fans on either side of them set to high speed. It's <laughs> just some <laughs> random workers just hurling sand into his face. <laughs> I had to shower for hours after this. Lashed by the blasting storm, his sand-burned eyes, literally, his sand-burned eyes search for some sign of life, some path to follow through the red haze that hides his destiny. Into the molten wilderness of sin, where granite sentinels rise like tombs of living dead to bar his way. Where in the darkness of each night he hears the echoing voices of the lonely wind. His tortured mind wondering if the cry or if they cry the memory of past triumphs, or wail for bidding of disasters yet to come. And again, literally in the movie during this time, Moses is at night looking over a rock, and in the background you just hear, Moses! (laughs) (laughs) so stupid. Why is it stupid? You hallucinate, you know, when you're dehydrated and really hot. <laughs> if I'm hallucinating my own name, I'm going to be bummed out. I've been walking for a week and a half on nothing but a little bit of water and a little bit of food. I better be hallucinating something cool. You're a hater. Or whether the hot breath. Ah, that's stinky. Whether the hot breath of the desert has melted reason into madness. Dreading each day that brings the torment of thirst, the scorching fury of the sun, he drags his aching body onward, deeper, deeper into the trackless wilderness. With the last morsel of bread goes the last hope of life, tested to the limit of endurance, learning it can be more terrible to live than to die, driven always onward through the burning crucible of the desert where holy men and prophets are cleansed and purged for God's great purpose, beaten into the dust from which he came until at the end of human strength, the steel is ready for the maker's hand. That's That's a great line. It is. I actually thought about that too, because I've never thought about it before. But, you know, Jesus fasted 40 days out in the desert, the wilderness. Uh, Saul went into the wilderness after he was was, uh, converted. There's something about the wilderness Going and God wilderness. And preparing people. Luke, he didn't go into the wilderness. He went to Guam. Wilderness is next. Where I'll be refined for the maker's hand to lead the people of Ohio out of slavery. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> at the very gates of death, the still small voice speaks in a mysterious way 
whispering God's message of the miracle of life. One single palm tree opens the gates of salvation. Keep in mind, he acts out every single part of this. So I don't understand why this narration was necessary in the first place. Why couldn't we just watch Moses do all these things, which we do? It's so much better. This monologue is like legend in film history. <laughs> no, this this monologue is legend in your house. In Luke's no, house it's where he not. grew up. No, it's not. Like, it's legitimately him le- and his like brothers a legendary monologue. Going, Mommy, before we go to bed, can we read the monologue again? Well, <laughs> did you say all your prayers? Zach, were you, were you moved by this monologue at all? No. At the very end, he lost me. Because I was like, oh, this is good. This is really good. But then he finds a palm tree. Palm trees are uh, significant in Jewish history. They were on the uh, temple and stuff. Right. Just I, just, that I don't know. I just thought it was silly that the things that opened the gates of salvation to him was a palm tree. I don't Why? know. It was just, I don't know. It was what else silly. would you find in the desert? A kookaburra? Sitting in an old gum tree. What? <laughs> <laughs> kookaburra. So Moses is passed out after gorging himself on figs that he found near a well. And uh, a group of girls arrive at the well to tend their sheep. And let's just say they're thirsty and not just for water. <laughs> a man! <laughs> they are is he handsome? more than Does thirsty. it matter? Oh, a man! <laughs> Uh, and Moses wakes up just in time to save the women from a group of Amalekites, or Amalites, excuse me, who were trying to steal the women's sheep. Uh, but Moses is brought back to the girl's father, Jethro, to feast for all of his help. And Moses decides to live with them and begin his life as a shepherd. Eventually, Moses impresses Jethro so much that the father lets Moses choose one of his seven daughters to marry. And, uh... Well, the way that they try to entice Moses is another weird hair dance. <laughs> and it was weird. I think Cecil has a, a thing for women's hair because every chance he gets, he's like, hey, can we do something weird with these girls' hair? Yeah, we can have them dance around with it and, I don't know, whip it around and whatnot. Great, let's do it. But Mo- Moses chooses the oldest daughter, the only one who didn't do a hair dance. Sephora. Uh, Sephora, but Sephora when the movie. Um, back in Egypt, Seti dies, making Ramses king. Moses is settled in Midian, and when we next see him, he's talking to Gershom, his son. And then Sephora calls Moses and says that the dogs would treat a man as if he was a coon. Moses investigates, and it turns out to be Joshua, who escaped the copper mines. Then they all look off screen. Simultaneously, they just look <laughs> at the upper right-hand corner of the screen. <laughs> and Joshua says... A bush that burns. Then Moses goes, It is on fire, but the bush does not burn. And then Moses goes on what seems like a ten-mile hike to the bush. How did they see the bush from where they were standing? That's a good question. <laughs> it's always like that, isn't it? It's like he walked, he walked like over hills and down into valleys. He's like he's like scaling walls and he's like in a cave and the bush is there. You know. I, I, I get it that's the 1950s, but they did not do a good job on the burning bush. No, I did not like it. Why? I don't know what I don't know what they could have done differently, but it just They could have put some of that weird animated it. fire that they used in every other scene. 
<laughs> yeah, they did have a lot of that. Did you like the Burning Bush, Luke? I thought it was okay. I mean, it, it wasn't my. It wasn't awesome. It wasn't awesome like the obelisk. That was awesome. But uh, at the Burning Bush, God sends Moses on a mission to free the Hebrews from Egyptian bondage. And uh, I asked at this point in time, and my notes is, how many times in this movie do you think Heston dramatically said, bondage? Because he says it like every scene. Moses, I cut myself. Can you hand me a band-aid? <laughs> or a bandage? No. But I'll hand you a bondage. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. That is horrible. <laughs> <laughs> When Moses left to see this burning bush that they could see from miles away, uh, he had dark brown hair, but when he returns from the bush, he's got some nice white highlights. So after Moses comes back, Joshua, Moses, Sephora, and Gershom all pack up and head to Egypt. All right, so Moses walks before Pharaoh and Nefertiti in the throne room, and he tells Pharaoh to let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, I'm I'm not going to do that. So Moses cast down his staff, and Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's magicians cast down their staff, and they all turn into snakes. Then the least epic snake fight in history happens. <laughs> <laughs> and Moses's puppet snake eats Pharaoh's steak. And then one of my favorite parts of this movie is when Moses picks up his snake staff, and it turns back into a staff. Pharaoh Jr. just comes up and just kicks it. <laughs> just, I know. <laughs> Yes! <laughs> I just like that part. Uh, but but Pharaoh's pride causes him not to believe, and he orders the Hebrews to make brick without providing straw, making their job really hard. So the Hebrews are immediately ready to kill Moses when they hear this news, but he is saved by Egyptian guards uh, sent to bring Moses to Nefertiri. In Nefertiri's room, she tries to go back to Nekin like old times, but Moses says, back off, hussy, I'm a married prophet. (laughs) To be fair, though, Nefertiri does pretty much everything but rip off Moses' clothes. Like, she is rubbing against him like a cat that knows that you have fancy feast. And I thought about that. Honey... Uh, you're never going to believe what happened today. I was asked to go to the, the queen's room, and uh, I just let her rub up on me for about 27 minutes. But I didn't sleep with her. Kelsey's still going to be mad at me. Yeah, she, dead, should be like, she should be like, bravo, your self-discipline is impeccable. She started doing all that, kind of rubbing on him, and Moses said, I'll give you 30 minutes to stop. <laughs> <laughs> But when she's rejected, Nefertiri vows to convince Pharaoh not to free the Israelites until Moses comes to her in the biblical sense. Next, Moses turns the Nile River to blood after Pharaoh refuses to let God's people go. Then the narrator tells us that after the blood, Pharaoh's heart had not softened. Then the river brought forth frogs in great number, and the frogs came to the house of Pharaoh and into the bedchambers and on the bed and into the house of his servants upon his people. And we're also told by the Egyptian high priest that the people had been plagued with lice, flies, sickness, and boils. Guys, this movie is 47 hours long. They just didn't have time to show all the plagues. They No, they didn't. I thought about that. But that's what, that's what I was saying. We spent two hours and 15 minutes 
on chapter two of Exodus. How hard and then, would it like, be an hour to get a truckload of frogs? <laughs> a truckload of frogs? Where are you going to get a truckload of frogs from? Down hey, you in, know down you're going to need them. Just, just start early and breed them. Yeah, get your, I mean, get your friends and family and be like, everybody go them. out there. This is the 1950s. You could have your actors doing a river dance on these frogs, squishing them and squashing them. Really give us a picture of the gruesomeness of that play. Nobody would say anything. Actually. So, Pharaoh isn't convinced to let people go. So Moses causes hail to fall from the sky, which just spontaneously combusts on the ground. That was weird. Uh, and Moses leaves Pharaoh with this warning. When darkness covers the land for three days, then you will call for me. And three days later, Pharaoh's convinced by his counselors to call for Moses. How about that? But before Pharaoh frees the slaves, Nefertiri convinces Pharaoh not to give in to Moses' plagues. Moses then warned Pharaoh that if he refuses to free the Hebrews, then the next plague is going to kill all the firstborn children in Egypt. Pharaoh responds, not if I kill the Hebrew children first. That's how that works. Yeah, that's it. If he, whoever kills each other's kids fastest. <laughs> if you kill me, I'm going to kill you back. Hearing Pharaoh's plan, Nefertiri runs to Zipporah to warn her, and Moses' wife and son flee Egypt. Moses returns to the home where his family is staying, and Nefertiri tells him that she sent his family back to Midian in order to save his son's life. But Moses tells Nefertiri, he's like, you're, you're stupid. You're stupid. Don't worry about my son. You should be worried about your son. And he tells her that about midnight, the destroyer will come into Egypt and, and kill all the firstborn whose doorposts are not marked with blood. Joshua runs to Dathan's house because Lillian is the firstborn and uh, Dathan refuses to put blood on his door. But Joshua puts it secretly on uh, the door to save Lillian's life. As Joshua runs away from Dathan's house, a sickly green fog begins to cover the land, and he makes his way to Moses' house. Someone calls this fog Night Mist, which I think would be a pretty good name for a band. Night Mist? Not Night Mist. Night Mist. <laughs> I know that I've been critical of a lot of these effects, but I think that the, uh, the fog rolling in over the sets and everything, I thought that was pretty good. Did a pretty good it job. was good that exactly. they didn't uh, they didn't do something just like ridiculous. And, and I also kind of liked uh, when they're in the the house. Moses is in his house with his birth family, and they're observing the Passover. You can hear like the sounds of screams and wailing. Uh, like, yeah, I, I, I thought that was really effective too. It was. I thought that was pretty. You enjoyed good. that? Oh, enjoyed I love those my... screams and wailing. Yeah, it's my ringtone now. Every hey, time I somebody know, calls, I don't know that here. No, not yeah, I don't Jimmy. know that enjoyed it is the right term, but no, I it loved was it. extremely it was effective, as you can hear that going on round roundabout. Yeah, but it was also it was extremely effective, but it was also ruined by uh, that guy that was just monotoning toning chants the whole time. I feel like the screams because <laughs> yeah. because I'm sitting there going, yeah, that's real creepy, and then the guy's like, and then God came upon Joseph, and then he said, hey Joe, what's going on? And I'm just what He's in the world is happening with some scripture. Hey, I'm really scared right now. Do not be scared. God is with you as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs after thee. That's probably the biblical singing right there. In the beginning the was the light, and Jesus was the light, but we don't know about Jesus yet because that doesn't make sense chronologically, but Cecil B. DeMille just put in random passages of scripture. And then Bithia, Moses' adopted mother, joins the party. 
because she has come to believe in the Hebrew God. Pharaoh's feeling pretty regretful. He's like, man, I should have let those Hebrews go. And Nefertiri's like, yeah, you big dummy, you really should have. Pharaoh's like, what are you talking about, woman? I didn't let them go because of what you said to me. The Nefertiri responds, hey, let's not point fingers. Stop point fingers, okay? But at least our son's not dying. Uh, so Pharaoh's son dies. But it takes like three hours for his son to die. Everybody else dies instantly. But but Pharaoh's son's given like an extra 45 minutes to for, for Hulbrenner to awkwardly pet his arm. <laughs> the air filtration in the palace was a little bit better than the other houses. Everybody else just kicked it. Uh, but but Pharaoh calls Moses, and uh, he frees the Hebrews. The slaves are gone. Next day, all the Hebrews are streaming out of Egypt. There are so many people on this set at this point in time. That was what was the most amazing thing, is how many people were in this movie. Yeah, I know it. And then one of my favorite parts of the movie is that uh, Dathan is forced to go with the Hebrews, even though he doesn't want to. Uh, <laughs> but the Egyptians' guards uh, think that he's with the Hebrews because he had blood on his door because Joshua painted the door. And then Dathan asked one of the Egyptian guards, he's like, where are we going? And their response made me laugh for a good long time. <laughs> where are we going? I was like, dang. To hell, I hope. Bam. You just got told, Dathan. They're talking about a concept that they didn't even understand yet. Oh, I wish they would have said to Sheol, I hope. Uh, but the Egyptians are throwing golden idols at the Hebrews as parting gifts. Child actors are either abusing animals or almost being trampled. And Joshua is barking orders. Did you notice that? Every single scene had a kid in it, and they were either beating an animal with a stick, or they were, like, standing right behind a mule trying to get it up. Every single child was, like, inches away from being trampled to death by some sort of beast. Yeah, yeah Josh was barking orders because why not? They put Joshua in every scene they can, might as well. It's a great time. In Pharaoh's palace, Nefertiri convinces Pharaoh to go and kill the Hebrew slaves and murder Moses with his own hand. And Pharaoh agrees, and he says he's going to kill Moses and then come back and kill Nefertiri, to which she does a camera take. She looks like Jim from The Office when he says that and leaves. She's like, <gasps> just straight at the camera. Well, that's uh, he does pick her up and then throw her against like the Egyptian idol that they have in their throne room. But she grabs onto it and then gently slides to the ground. And then she's just like, hmm. Like, like, like Lucy, and I love Lucy when she messes up. She's like, oh, Ricky. <laughs> I got her son killed. Hmm. Um, but I also noticed that uh, Pharaoh wasn't in that much of a hurry because he takes time to make sure all the horses, if there's like a thousand horses on screen at the same time, and uh, he makes sure that all them horses have the right furry hat on. Uh, so they match the rest of the chariot, and everything's all decorated and colorful. It's great. Uh, he pops a, a war crown on his head, just like this tall blue helmet thing. And again, uh, war crown. Good name for a band if you're looking for one. And then he finally goes and chases the Hebrews down. The Hebrews are at the Red Sea when Pharaoh's chariots uh, appear in the distance. Dathan starts complaining, but Moses is like, chill, I got this. And he parts the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's chariots are stopped by divine, crudely animated fire, and the people cross. Pharaoh's able to get around the fire finally, and send his chariots after the Hebrews, but Moses closes the sea, and everyone but Pharaoh drowns. The king returns to his did you see that? Did you see what? that octopus when they were crossing across the uh, Red Sea? Oh my gosh, guys, you know what time it is? If you need a fact about an octopus... Blah, 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 Luke Taylor.
you know, in the Red Sea, you know what's not red? <laughs> Number one. <laughs> so the Red Sea is not red because it's blue because water is blue. I don't know, you know, if you knew. Uh, octopus blood is also blue. And it's not like it's not like the, that human like myth that your blood is blue until it actually comes out of your body. It's blue. Hold on just a second. Does that mean that the ocean is octopus blood? Um, maybe? I knew it. That was a fact about an octopus. Blah, 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 blah. Luke Taylor. Oh, did you see all the geese? Those are my favorite. The geese and the ducks that were, like, running down into the Red Sea about to be trampled by everything. Yeah. Like, there's no way those geese would follow all those people. They'd just be, like, And there were, like, three thing. toddlers behind them beating them with sticks. I saw it. <laughs> They're like, here, kids, guess what you get to do? Beat some animals. So Pharaoh returns to his throne room, where he gets nagged one last time by Nefertiri, and then they both just sit down <laughs> in their thrones, defeated. And that's it. That's Insult. their story. They, the story of Pharaoh is over. <laughs> I wonder if Pharaoh died in the Red Sea, in, in actuality. I think It kind of would have been crueler... It probably would have been crueler if God had just like kept him alive and been like, "Here, go live in your failure." I think he did. That, that would have been hard. I, I, I okay. So all the Hebrews are gathered around Mount Sinai, and Moses has been gone a long time. Dathan convinces the people that Moses is dead, and they should build an idol. They make an idol, job, and a uh, quote orgy breaks out. And Lilia is chosen to be sacrificed to the new idol. Why is she still Dathan's slave? I don't know. I think she's loyal to Dathan because she made a vow to keep Joshua alive. Uh, movies at this time, they, they can get a little randy. Randy. But as far as, as that's concerned, this is the most tame orgy. It's mostly just... Badly choreographed dancing. The fact that they even call it an orgy is insulting to is, orgies. Is a it's a contradiction. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say there is I mean, there is one part about this that has disturbed me to the point where I haven't thought of a lot else besides this. Um, during this this scene. They're 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 putting aluminum foil on the side of this golden calf. First of all, <laughs> but uh, while they're hammering in that foil, there's a woman at the head of the calf who has like hair down to her butt, and she's got like clumps of her hair in her hand. And she just keeps rubbing it on the head of this calf, and I cannot, I cannot get that image out of my head, and I want to because it disturbs me. That's what you do. Me. That's what you do. Well, the image I can't get out of my head is why was the back end of the bull like 18 inches high and the front end of the bull was like nine foot high? Well, they haven't got the aluminum foil back there yet. Okay. But when they do, the, very woman, the woman, woman will turn around to the rear end of the bull and just start rubbing her hair on it. That's how you shine it up. You got to shine up the bull. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the 
first time that Luke has broken that bad in the history of this podcast. That's how you shine it up. That's how you shine up the bowl. You lose your hair. Hey, on a on a serious note, it is it is a sad testament to the children of Israel for what they've done here. After everything they've just witnessed. Scott, when you it's got hard Dathan to up, believe they when you got Dathan up there saying, Hey, let's do this. Who 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 are we to argue with Dathan? Hey, I'm just I'm just trying to help us move away from Luke shining up the bull. You shine that that's our other t shirt. <laughs> That's gonna be the name. Of, this that's gonna be the name of this podcast. You talk about a double entendre. That's great. Shining the bull. I'm telling you right now. If we had if we had shirts that would put a picture of Luke's face on it with a caption underneath of it, shining up the bull, would be rich. Oh, by the way, can we just talk? Speaking of shining, how many times do you think people came up to Moses in this movie and said, "Hey, Moses, you're you're, you're just shining, bro. You're shining." You're just shining. That, so bright. You got that shiny face going. <coughs> okay, so uh, Moses is up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments for by some weirdly animated white fire thing. Uh, it carves the, the Ten Commandments into the rock. It's a cool effect. Personally, I always thought God's handwriting was a little neater. but That's what I thought. <laughs> there. Exactly, yes. I mean, I, I, I don't think that, that when you get up there and you just go, well, God, God has terrible penmanship. That's, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't make his alphas from his omegas. Um, that was a funny joke. It's cause it's I don't care Hebrew. what you say. That was a, I can't get his A-lifts from his. <laughs> I know A-lifts A. I don't know any other. <laughs> Uh, but he comes down down from the mountain and he sees the debauchery. And what do you what do you think he does? Do you think he drops the commandments on the ground and they break like the Bible says, or do you think he hurls them at him like or hurls them at Dathan like they're a live grenade, and then things just start exploding and the whole entire earth just rips open and swallows a whole bunch of Hebrews? <laughs> Option B. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Commandment grenades, go! <laughs> I like how the captain explodes and then Dathan's just like standing there behind, like shielding his eyes from a giant sparkler. 40 years later, Moses is looking like Gandalf and Dumbledore had a baby with beautiful blue eyes. They're at the Jordan River and Moses sees the promised land and he goes, Hey guys, I gotta die now. Bye. He hands a random dude the, the Pentateuch that he wrote. Said they need to be placed in the ark next to the Ten Commandments, and then he literally waves to Joshua, Sephora, and Lilia. Bye, guys. <laughs> See you later. Been a fun 120 years. <laughs> not so really did she sure. Divorce? I'm not really she sure why Sephora Dathan. and Lilia are alive right now because Joshua was the only one that was supposed to survive this. But bye, guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. I didn't catch that. The hmm. end. Thank goodness. It took us two and a half hours to record this, but by the time you guys listen to it, I'm sure that it'll be very close to one hour and 15 minutes of usable content. Okay. Scott, we went first. You think you have that much usable content? I do. <laughs> 
Scott, you went first last time, so Luke, it's your turn. What is your rating? Ten out of ten. Ten out of ten. I knew that was coming. This, uh, actually, I'll give it a um. Hmm. I'm trying to think, were there any like obvious biblical inaccuracies in this movie? I mean, he hurled testament grenades at people. That was. <laughs> does Does it say that he? He dropped them and broke them, or he says he just threw them, right? He just threw them on the ground. It didn't say, thus say it. Oh, real quick before we go, uh, just because we are uh, members of Churches of Christ, I did appreciate the fact that every time God spoke, he spoke in King James. Thee are Moses, and thy must go to thine Egypt, (laughs) and striketh upon the brow the Pharaoh. (laughs) Ride thy ass into the land of thine pyramids and damn Pharaoh hey. to damnation. And then any time that God is cotton patch, it, and then any time that like, God is yeah, Holmes. and then any time God is spoken about or spoken to, they do the same thing. Moses doesn't use a thee or a thou the entire movie, but when he's talking to God, he's like, "Thy are great God, <laughs> thine is the glory." Thee, thou, thy, ye. I just appreciated that. <laughs> All right, Luke, what's your rating? Uh, I'll give it... I, I don't, I'm not going to fault them for the commandment grenade. I kind of enjoyed that. Um, get You know, maybe it exploded. And I suppose Dathan got eaten by the ground. I also like how they threw Korra in there, like, right at the end. Like, he was, he was right alongside Dathan. Because he gets eaten by the ground later. So everybody gets eaten by the ground. But they didn't show that part. Um, anyway, I, I thought was, for a movie that can't... I would have been, been okay with some uh, wilderness wandering, you know. You could tack on another 20 minutes there and do some wilderness wandering activities. Hit the highlights. But um, I'd say for a movie that was created in the 50s and uh, to create a movie on this scope with this kind of... These kind of special effects, even though by our standards they're pretty lame... Uh, I thought it was pretty good, and I like the story. It's pretty biblically accurate. There's some liberties that are taken, but uh, it's a classic. Charlton Heston's just, I mean, he is Moses in my mind when I read the Bible. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'll give it a I'll give it a 9.5. Scott? Okay, I agree, I agree with Luke on just about all of his points there. I... I can't believe I'm saying this, but I really enjoyed the movie so much that I watched it twice. I nice. actually rented this twice. So you didn't watch Amazon it twice. It's because it's too long. You've got the, the memory recall of a hummingbird, and so you needed to watch it twice. Well, <laughs> either way, I watched it twice. <laughs> <laughs> it was. I'm kind of like with Luke. When you think about when you think about Moses, you think of Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. Uh, this this is a classic. Hashtag I think they show Moses. this on regular TV every year. <laughs> Uh, so it, it, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I think there's a couple things that are a little bit inaccurate, but I'm going to give it a nine. Yes. Zach, what do you think about this movie? It was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's not, I mean, I appreciate what they did for the time, but the uh, overacting, I didn't like it. Seriously, if they spoke like normal people talk, this movie would be an hour shorter. And I'm not, I don't think I'm overreacting to that. 
Yeah. Like, but, but I get I it. I kind of wonder though about the, uh, like the overacting. I wonder if that also comes from like the silent movies and then also like theater because in theater but, you overact. Luke, you got to under. Like cinema, cinema is yeah. like kind of new still here, right? And mm. and if you're doing a silent movie, you're definitely going to overact. You, because but, but the silent, uh, you, silent pictures went out of favor in the 20s. We're talking about a movie that was made nearly four decades after silent pictures. Okay, maybe. So, I mean, but I get what he was doing, and it was impressive that he was able to do it. I loved, I hated the effects, but I loved seeing real sets. You know, uh, the the monolith was really there. The, the facades for the temples was really there. The tens of thousands of people that were walking around were really there. That was cool. I liked seeing old Hollywood uh, from that perspective. Um, it, it really wasn't a bad story. They didn't do anything overly... Uh, there was nothing, like, blatantly anti-biblical. I thought it was weird that the whole hardening of Pharaoh's heart through Nefertiri thing, that, that was weird to me. But at the same time, you got to give liberties. Uh, you know, you can't do a, a story of Moses and be biblical from his birth to his death because, well, we don't have a lot of information about that first 40 years. Yeah. So, yeah, the, the, but the, the the idea of him choosing to become a slave when he could have became Pharaoh was a little bit cheesy. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'll give it, I'll give it a seven. And now you know who hates the Bible in this group. No, now you know that I haven't watched it for 30 years. I finally watched it. I don't need to do it anymore. Seven. You'll watch it next. No, I won't. An average of 8.5. Nice. That's where that should be. So there you have it. 8.5 for the Ten Commandments. Commandment grenades and all. (laughs) That was plus five in my book for that. Next week, we will be reviewing one of my favorite movies and uh, one of Scott's favorite movies. And Luke is the one who has not seen this movie yet. It is the 1983 holiday classic, A Christmas Story. And Oh, uh, am, I allowed, am I allowed to watch this movie? Yes, you are. It's really not that bad. In this modern age... Perfect. Too many people have lost sight of the true meaning of Christmas. Mom! Hush! Shut up, Ralphie! So now, <laughs> in the spirit of the original... I made you! Stop! Traditional... That guy looks like the coach of the... American uh, Christmas. The Patriots. Thanks a lot! That's who it is. MGM presents... A Christmas <laughs> Story. Passing through the snow... This is my life right now. What is this? The best movie of all time. <laughs> Bumpkiss is dogs. He looks like the annoying kid from uh, Polar Express. You look like an annoying kid from my life. I am that kid. You must be Italian. 
This is like just a bunch of random cutscenes. So excited for. Did you ever have? What's that? I can't watch this movie. Yes, you can. You will enjoy this movie. This looks like it was shot on a cell phone. That was 1983. I can't wait. I love this movie so much. It looks okay. Alright, so there you have it. Tune in next week for Christmas Story. I promise it'll be more entertaining. And bring me a little more joy. Uh, hey, after all, we did talk about the spirit of Sinai train on its way to the Operation Grain Drop in Gagresham. I literally don't know <laughs> if you just spoke English. <laughs> I, I literally have no idea what you just said. You said, Seriously? I, I heard, at least we talked about the cytohydatrine of the grain of Gershom. I'm like, what? That's a, the world. That's exactly what I said. <laughs> I said the spirit of Sinai train for Operation Green Drop in Gresham. Yep, I still Gresham. do not understand. It's okay. <laughs> He's not having a stroke, guys. We just don't understand him. Okay, <laughs> Scott, do you smell toast? <laughs> Alrighty. Oh, Merry Nightmas. Hey, I forgot, because I haven't told you this in a couple of weeks. Remember, this week, remember, to always say your prayers and obey your mommies and daddies. For Rotten or Righteous, I'm Zach Geiler. I'm Scott Judge. I'm L L Luke Taylor. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Real quick before we go. Hey Scott. Yes, yeah, Zach. What do you get when you combine a rhetorical question and a joke? Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm so sorry, Scott. That was so mean. That was just... No, I agree with you. I'd like to lose 50 myself. But... Could you imagine you eating a spider? Nope. 